Welcome to the Savvy Shopkeeper Retail Podcast. This is episode 50, and it is a bit of a surprise episode. I'm interviewing someone today, and it is Becky Tyre. Am I saying that right? Absolutely. Okay, that's what I thought. Becky Tyre of Retail Details, the podcast. And I'm really excited because Becky, I feel like I've been following you on Instagram and Facebook since I started my brick and mortar store. And you are one of the people, I don't know, just really, you really resonate with the independent retail community and you share so much helpful information. Your podcast is great. And I know a lot of the women in my community love to follow you. So I'm really excited to interview you today. So thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. Everything you just said back at you. I think we have um, very similar audiences. So hello to your entire audience. I think we have a lot of mutual friends. I also want to add that this interview is really timely because we're recording this on Monday, November 23rd, and it will publish on Thanksgiving. And that's the Thursday right before Small Business Saturday. So this just, it, it worked out perfectly because you're the perfect person to interview before that weekend, before, you know, all of the independent retailers really go all out to get customers into their store. So thank you again for being here. One of the things that I really wanted to, to take the time to, to talk to you about was to actually learn about you. I feel like you're so focused on everyone else. You're so focused on store owners and retail in general uh, that I actually wanted to take a few minutes to learn about your journey and how you ended up being such a small business cheerleader. Okay. Well, I've actually worked in corporate. <laughs> and most people are surprised to hear that, that I came from a corporate background was my very first retail job. But it started before then. And my love for, for retail and visual merchandising, which is kind of where I started, started long before that. So um, I was a retailer, though, before um, discounters started and big, big box stores. So I've seen a lot of changes in retail, and I've watched it very, very closely. Um, I did work in retail um, in corporate for federated department stores, which, was, which is Macy's, many people will know. Um, but I worked in Florida, so it was called Burdines. And um, that was in Florida after I was in college. I started before college and then went to work for them after college as well. But my first real love of retail um, more specifically, visual merchandising came with my very first real job, which was in high school when I worked at Disney World in Orlando. And um, all my girlfriends and I worked at Disney, and we would carpool to Disney World, and then we would carpool you know, home afterwards. But I worked as the golden girl at Crystal Palace, which um, there's another whole side story there because I wore a floor-length velvet gown picture that in florida and um things were very very different in the late 70s so side story i'll tell you that later if you want to hear it if we have time but that's a completely different story but my girlfriends were all servers in restaurants so they didn't get off work until their last table was finished but since i wasn't a server i was usually the first one done so i would go down into the tunnels after i got off my shift and change into my street clothes and I would go up to Main Street and I would go shopping in the stores or just go walking in the stores. And I just loved the displays. I would walk through the stores and it was like my happy place and my wind down after work. You know, your feet are so sore from standing all day. But I would go walking through the stores and just marvel at the beautiful displays. And to this day, I still follow some of the visual merchandisers at Disney, um, both California and 
and Walt Disney World on social media because they're just the masters of creating lovely displays, what they call merchantainment. So I think that really is what um, sparked my love of visual merchandising. And even though I never worked in visual merchandising at Disney World, it, it really did spark it. But I also attribute um, Disney and the culture at Disney through their orientation and their training to a lot of what I loved, or what I learned, excuse me, what I learned about customer service. And I feel like I've shared that through the years as I've trained and have taught retailers. Um, and then when I worked for the Burdines, the Federated Department Stores, um, I worked in training and I taught and I taught retailers and I taught managers and trained them through the years and, um, and shared the Disney culture through them. And then after that, went into independent retail. And then after independent retail, became a retail consultant. And then after that, <laughs> um, started teaching seminars. And through the seminars, no, after that, became a blogger. So around the time that I started hearing about blogging, decided to blog about visual merchandising. It just seemed such a perfect fit because I thought if I loved all these pictures of beautiful store displays, certainly blogging was the perfect avenue for that. And um, I remember the first time that the blog hit a million views and I was just through the roof. The first time I hit a thousand, I was excited. I remember showing my husband the stats. And then when it hit a million, I was just ecstatic. And that was a million after a month, you know, a month of views. You pulled out your stats at a month. And then the next time I checked, it hit a million after a week. And my husband's like, you must be reading it wrong. I'm like, no, people love looking at store display pictures. pictures. And the same time that it hit a million after a week, I got a call to start doing seminars at conferences and at trade shows. And it just kind of went from there. And then retails just, retail details just became a thing because people were very interested in hearing about visual merchandising. And then I started teaching others how to do it. And, um, and it was really just seminars for visual merchandising or just showing people pictures and sh- telling them about what the elements are that make it effective. And then it expands beyond that, of course, to the actual techniques and where to get the props to do it with and how to do it incorrectly as well as correctly. And, you know, I mean, there's more to it than just showing a picture, but that really is the basis for it. And people can learn from the pictures and like, like I said, the elements and the, the creation and the, the science behind it. So um, it went from there. And then um, after teaching the seminars and stuff, and then having the blog, then I started being a writer. And I started writing for various magazines. And then for the last five, maybe six years, I've been a regular contributor for Gifts and Decorative Accessories magazine. And then my blog morphed from a blog into a podcast And here I am in the third season of the podcast, but I'm currently on a short hiatus for a medical leave because I have a shoulder injury. So I'm hoping that will be short. Um, The doctors say it will not be a short recovery, but I'm hoping that the actual podcast hiatus will be short. But with not being able to lift my arm to even put my headphones on, (laughs) I'm not real sure because I have full set of, um, I have a recording studio and a full set of recording equipment and I do all my own editing and everything. So I'm not real sure how long it's going to be, but um, hopefully I'll be back soon. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, you just, I did not want to interrupt you. (laughs) I'm 
I have so much to say. I will, I will say that it all makes sense. Like now it all makes sense. I was just so curious about your journey, but it really truly makes sense, especially your passion for merchandising and displays when you come from a Disney background. I, I think people see Disney as just an amusement park. And I don't think, oftentimes, I don't think people realize Disney's a retail giant. Absolutely. They have so much influence there and so, so much history there. So now this totally makes sense to me. I love that I asked you this question. I was really curious. Um, I also want to say that the transition to blogging also probably really made sense to you or for you. I, I tell people when I talk about my journey, both with the store, because my store started as a blog with my sister where we DIY projects and did tutorials on our blog and then it turned into the store and then Savvy Shopkeeper was more of a passion project and that blog turned into a business. So I don't have a million views though. So that is amazing and really, really impressive. Like that you could even get, did you get a million views in a week? Yes. Wow. Yeah. So I imagine your blog still gets probably, you know, a ton, thousands and tens of thousands of views still. Did you take your blog down when you switched to a podcast or you're no, still? It's just archived. I yeah. haven't checked it in months. It's archived. Okay. That's fantastic. So um, still go and look at it, but it's not even publicized anymore, but it still sits there. Yeah. No, that's amazing though. And then it also makes sense then that you became a writer from there. So, and then we also talked about your shoulder injury because Becky has um, a grandson, right? Yes. And she's been really frustrated that she hasn't been able to pick him up because of the shoulder injury. So um, hopefully you'll get back to podcasting soon. I'm sure you're anxious to do that too. Maybe more anxious to pick up the grandson than to start podcasting again. It's a close, close. <laughs> I do love my work and my grandson. Yeah, yeah. that and, the, and it really shows. And I'm sure anyone who's listening who follows Becky on social media, they're probably shaking their head yes when you say like that it shows your passion for retail shows, for sure. I'm sure everyone agrees. So I'd really like to just shift and ask you some questions because everyone or I think the majority of everyone that listens to this podcast, they're either brick and mortar store owners or they're makers with online shops or they're both. A lot of the independent retailers who listen to my podcast or they're part of my communities also make their own products. I give them a ton of credit for doing both. Right. But I would love to hear because I'm, you know, I consider you an expert here and I know you have some great advice and information to share with everyone. So I wanted to start off with some questions that you could share with the listeners. And the first one is, what, what do you think, especially brick and mortar store owners, what do you think that they do, the successful ones that they do right? Maybe a couple of things that you think. I think that successful retail stores and retail store owners know their customers, they know who their customers are, and they know who their customers are not. So that would expand to the fact that they know who their customers are and they buy for that customer, and they don't speculate on who their customers are not. They buy accordingly. They plan their social media for who their customers are, et cetera, so that everything is based around who their customers are. Having said that, it's hard to do when you're brand new. So I'm speaking to successful, successful stores are generally not brand new stores. You know, they're not successful from day one. 
I probably have a list of about six things that that successful stores do right. Um, maybe number two for successful stores, because that would be more um, stores that are existing. How about utilizing sales reps for what they're worth? Oh, I like that one. Utilizing good sales reps, because quite, you know, some are good, some are not. Um, utilizing good sales reps, good sales rep agencies, and online combinations the online ordering platforms that are good utilizing a combination of all of that. Let's face it, particularly coming into the holidays, a good sales rep can be make it or break it. Hey, you know, pick up the phone. I'm out of such and such. I sold out the very first day. Can you get me some more? Oh my gosh, I didn't buy enough of anything. Do you have any closeouts? Is there anything you can get me? I sold out flat out, I've got an empty table, you know, what can you get me? Um, that's the kind of thing that that's good sales reps do. Um, good sales reps come in this time of year and inventory your sock wall, if you have a sock wall, and you don't have to deal with it, that sort of thing. But those are the type of relationships that you have to cultivate all year long. And when I meet retailers who don't allow sales reps in their stores, I think those retailers are making a mistake. Mm, that's such a great tip. I think a lot of, at least, you know, every, every podcast has a different audience, but I feel like within my community, we are, we tend to be smaller retails, you know, under half a million in revenue each year, you know, some fairly new and don't get me wrong. Some are very experienced 20 plus years in retail, but I think that's a great point. Um, nurturing the relationship with the sales reps. There are a few women in our communities who really, really do that well. And I love listening to their stories and I love seeing them go to market and that they have dinner plans with their sales reps or dinner plans with certain brands because they really like to nurture that relationship. So I love that you said that. I also really appreciate that you said knowing their customers. I think oftentimes we're so focused on the product or what's in the store that we're not really thinking about who we serve. So I thought those were great, great answers and it, it totally makes sense. And I'm even guilty sometimes of not nurturing the relationship with the sales reps. It's something that I should do better. And I will keep that in the, in the front of my mind when I go down to um, Atlanta, if that all works out in January. So thanks for mentioning that. I appreciate it. So the next question I have is, what are two common mistakes you see store owners make? Well, my first would be a pet peeve, not necessarily a mistake. This is just something that any anytime I have a chance to speak to more than one retailer at a time, I would share this. My pet peeve is on your social media and on your website when you don't tell me where you are. This Good one. Tell me where you are, and that doesn't mean the first name of your town, because I think like 42 states have a Springfield. So don't tell me you're in Springfield. Don't tell me you're in Portland because I don't know if that's Maine or Oregon. Yeah. Exactly where you are. It's so frustrating for me. Like I'm not traveling right now, obviously, because very few people are, but I travel a lot. And just because I'm not in your town doesn't mean I'm not coming to your store because I might come to your store and you know what? I might write a magazine article about your store, but you have to tell me where you are. It's so frustrating. And other people might be looking for the same thing. And it might even be that I want to order something from your store on your website, but I want to know if it's, you know, I might want to order from it for the next 
state over even just to keep the shipping down or something. Just, just tell right. me. Right just right. everybody go to your website right now and make sure it tells me what town and what state you're in. It's that simple. So that's my number one tip. Just tell me where you are on your website, on your Instagram and on your, your Facebook at the very least. So that's a simple fix. Yeah, what, it really is. <laughs> that's easy. But you would be surprised. In fact, you would be amazed how many Facebook pages and even websites this is missing from. So that's, it, it just drives me crazy. And my husband just laughs at me because it's such a pet peeve and it drives me crazy. Okay, what else they're doing wrong? Um, most people are not doing it and a whole bunch of things wrong because most store owners love their stores. They have passion for their stores and it's, it's mostly little things and they figure it out along the way. Things that I notice when I go in stores though, and if someone hires me to come and help them in their store, the number one thing that I notice because I'm familiar enough with merchandising to know that they uh, merchandise, not merchandising, pardon me, um, is that I see old merchandise that they're not marking it down quick enough. So you want to get rid of that old stuff and get it out of there. So if I go and if I go in a store and I see stuff that I know is two seasons ago from mud pie or really old Vera Bradley design or, you know, stuff that, that I recognize and, doesn't mean necessarily that your customer is going to notice maybe last season stuff, but if they come in often enough, they're going to notice really old stuff. That would be a second thing regarding staff things. I think the number one thing in a, in a staff error that I would recommend to a retailer is keeping staff, keeping toxic staff around too long. Okay. And if you have an employee that is not good for morale in the store, not letting them go soon enough. Okay. I love that you mentioned all of those. It, uh, it's just, it hits the nail on the head. It's things I talk about often, especially in my master shopkeepers group, for sure. Getting rid of the stale inventory, just let it go. <laughs> like we joke around about the song from Frozen, let it go. Like let that play in your head. Just let it go. It is okay. And it really gives you a good cash injection so that you can buy the new stuff. It really makes sense. But I understand that retailers have a hard time. Just they look at it as an, an investment and they don't want to lose out on the investment, but they don't realize that that's what's going to keep their business going. So I love that you said that. And for sure, showing where you are. A lot of people I often hear too, like even on your personal bio, link your store. There are so many times probably when I engage in another Facebook group that has nothing to do with retail or I might engage or it's a local Facebook group, you know, I want people to be able to click on my bio. If they say, oh, I wonder who Kathy Cruz is and they click on the bio, they see right away the two businesses that I own and they can click on those and start to dig a little bit deeper if they want to. So even something like that. Um, so my next question was, originally I was going to ask you about where your passion came from for displays and merchandising, but we know that. So what about maybe like two tips, two tips for good, effective, either storefront window displays or merchandising in stores? I think sometimes we, there are those of us who feel like we could always improve here. So I would love to know like what your best tips for that. Okay. Um, two things. Number one, very simple, no clutter, just declutter the the displays. Um, similar to like the old fashioned tip when you get dressed and you put on your accessories, take one off. Basically, that's the same thing with displays. 
to, um, to declutter the displays. And then second thing is to create height in the displays by putting either boxes or some kind of height onto your tables and to build height into the displays so that you have things build up into your space with either risers or boxes or whatever you can use to create different heights within the displays to draw your eye around the display. Personally, I don't like symmetrical displays, but that's something that um, different visual merchandisers will, will argue that fact. Some like symmetry in the displays. I think symmetry doesn't make the eye stop and asymmetry makes the eye stop and, and catches the eye. So um, I definitely vote for asymmetry in displays. <laughs> Okay, I win here because my sister is all about symmetry and I'm all, she's, I hope she listens to this episode and I'm all about asymmetry. So I, I can't, I, I hope she listens to this because I always tell her, like I'll even look at the expression on her face when we do something and I can see she's so thrown off because it's not symmetrical. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. That's good. That would prove my science because um, symmetry is pleasing and your eye would flow right past it. Ah. Displeasing, not displeasing in a negative way. You want it to stop the eye. I'm so happy I have an argument now for the way I think. <laughs> no, that's great. I wonder how many people listening to this podcast are thinking the same thing, like, ah, oh, that makes total sense, and they're shaking their heads. Yes. The same argument as the pop of color. The right. Pop of color that we all have heard about for years catches your eye because it's there to startle you in a way the same way that asymmetry does makes sense totally makes sense never thought of it that way though win. sorry sis what's that you win sorry sis <laughs> no winning <laughs> And then the other thing that I like that you said is height. That's something that, again, my sister and I have personally worked on. We just did participated in a winter market event. And we've learned over the years going into it that we need smaller pieces of furniture not to sell, but we actually use them to add height to the display tables, to add the dimension and so that the eye has to go up and down. Um, and that really, really helps and then we also add more height to, the, to those displays too. And when the height is kind of off or we know we need to add something taller to it, um, but that's really important. I think a lot of people struggle with that in stores too on walls. Yes. Do you have any suggestions for people who, like personally, I'm not a huge fan of slat walls, but I, I understand they make sense. Um, some suggestions for those of us that don't want to use a slat wall, but want to add height to our displays on walls. Yes, you can mount things up towards the ceiling like boxes or things and then use them like a shelf up at the top and then just put even decorative things up there. You know, in a store that sells like rustic looking things, you can put little vintage looking things up there. In stores that sell accessories and things, you can put like mannequin heads, you know, anything depending on if it's a, a women's store, anything that's relevant to the store but that you don't have to get access to all the time, you can put things up there that are decorative or you can just even put pretty things up there, decorative cloth. Balance. Yeah, that's a great, great point. Up, but you don't want it to be too distracting that takes away from your merchandise. That's okay. Problem with, with doing, and it depends on the height of your ceiling so that you don't draw away from. From the actual merchandise itself. Okay. 
And then the next question I wanted to ask you is, what are you seeing? Because I know you interview a lot of people, a lot of retail store owners for the Retail Details podcast. What are some of the things that you're seeing that retailers are doing now? We haven't really talked about the pandemic or COVID. Um, what are some What are some of the things that retailers are doing now to either survive or thrive during this year? Because we also don't know when this is ending. Unfortunately, I think we were all hopeful it would be over before Q4, but it's here, and unfortunately, it's holding strong. So I'd love to know a couple of things um, that people are doing to really help their businesses out. Um, obviously, I'm sure you're hearing the same thing. Um, well, you have been. I've been listening to your podcast. Um, the pivots, obviously, the people that are adding things. There's a wonderful local store here where I live. Um, her name is Jess, and it's Home Goods of Margaretville. And she just absolutely brought in, like, little – she's a kitchen store. She brought in refrigerators and started selling locally grown food from the farmers. And she's probably having her best year ever. And, you know, bravo for her. And I'm just so proud of her for pivoting. And that's wonderful because she was able to do that. Her store would have had to close down as being non-essential. And she absolutely made herself essential. And she's doing great. And that's wonderful. Um, everyone's not able to pivot that much and do that. That's that's ideal for her. It doesn't work for everyone. Other people have pivoted to doing the Facebook Lives and swear by it. And doing the, um, even if you do the, FaceTiming and walking through your store and selling that way, that's working for people. And that's great for those who embrace it. I know people were very resistant. There's a lot of store owners that were very uncomfortable with putting themselves on a camera and walking around their store. But once they got comfortable with it and did it, you see them in the different Facebook groups saying, guys, you have to do this. It's working. We're selling merchandise. People that didn't have a website and jumped on it and got their website, even as simple a simple, simple website. They got it up and running. Those who were resistant doing that are paying the price because they have nothing when their store is closed. Those who weren't willing to do curbside lost out on that. Um, it's embracing whatever they could do and doing it. You just, you miss out if you didn't jump on any way to do sales. So I applaud anyone who stepped out of their comfort zone. Um, those who didn't are probably not in business now. So bravo to those of you who embraced. But I think the key was listening to your fellow store owners that had, who were willing to share what was working for them. So I think the key here is networking and networking with others. I know you have a mastermind group where, where everybody shares with each other. And I think you have different levels of that, don't you? I do. I have, I have two, two levels. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, for those who are not, not able to do that, I also, not with any kind of a formal thing, but I'm also willing to, to introduce store owners to other store owners just, just through my database. I say, hey, here's a store that's kind of like yours. Yeah. Just connect them. So if anyone wants to reach out to me, if they just want a store buddy, like a pen pal. Biz besties. Yeah, biz besties just so that someone has somebody else to talk to that they can ask questions with on a very informal basis. I don't stay involved. I just introduce them just so that there's someone that they can connect with and ask, because I know it's, you know, I've always said retail is very lonely and unless they're in, unless they're involved with a group like yours or even with the Facebook groups, some people are still not comfortable with asking their questions. Um, pe some people are just shyer than others. And 
And sometimes it's very personal. And sometimes you're feeling very down or very lonely. This is a really, really rough time for a lot of people. Um, but there's a lot of successes out there. And more than ever, we need to connect people. And you're doing it. I'm doing it. Um, other retailers are, are putting themselves out there and saying, if you need help, reach out. And so if there's any connections that any of us can make, I, I do think that we're all are willing to do that. Certainly I am. So please feel free. If anyone wants to reach out, I'm happy to, to connect you with others. Um, there's not a whole lot that I can do sitting here in my cabin in the mountains. <laughs> I can't hop on a plane right now. I can't hop in my car and go to a lot of stores and do that. Um, but there are a lot of people that are doing it right. Um, pay attention to social media. Scroll through and see what people are doing right on Instagram and on Facebook. Look for best practices. Pay attention to the hashtags. I know that um, when you go to my posts, look on the hashtags and see what hashtags I'm posting. I try to mix it up and put different ones. Um, sometimes it's Shop Main Street. Sometimes it's a different form of Shop Local. But look on there and see what, what hashtags are on there. You might find one that you might find... Um, very helpful to follow. And you might see some good, good examples on there. I'll try to mix it up this coming week on purpose for that reason. After, uh, Thanksgiving, I, this post. after Thanksgiving, yeah, after Turkey Day. This just confirms I'm so, so grateful you were willing to be interviewed. And, and we're not even done yet. I still have a couple more questions. But everything that you've said is so extremely helpful. And I love that you offered to pair up similar business owners if they wanted a business friend, because I agree, it is very lonely. And that's part of the reason why I started Savvy Shopkeeper is because I felt lonely and I had no idea what I was doing and felt like I had so much to learn. And I agree that, you know, even within my own communities, there are different levels. There are some people who don't engage at all. And then I often wonder, are they okay? Is everything okay? And then every once in a while, I get a message from them and they say, I know I'm quiet or I don't engage a lot, but I take everything in. And I think that's okay. Do what works for you. Everyone is different. There's introverts, there are extroverts, there are, you know, there are people who are willing to share everything. There are people who hold things a little bit closer to their chest. But in the end, what's really important is that we're all respectful and kind and that we help each other out. And you've just said so many great things on this episode, and I'm sure you're helping anyone listening, especially heading into December, because that's you know, such an important month for most of us. And that leads me into January, which really would kick off the market events. And my sister and I, I share this pretty regularly is that we attend America's Mart in Atlanta. And I write about America's Mart. It's the only market that I'm familiar with, but I know you travel to all of them or many of them, maybe not all of them, many of them. And you have so much more experience with them than I do. So I'm just curious, do you have any tips about attending a big market event? I'm going to answer as though COVID's not involved. Okay. 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 Um, I've been to pretty much all of the major markets. There's a few regional ones that I haven't been to. So um, let's start with New York now because that's not a permanent market center. And I'm going to skip America's Mart because you've covered that one extensively. And I know you're very familiar with that one. And so your audience would be. Um, New York now is in the Javits Center and it's all boots. So for those of those people that are familiar with America's Mart, you would picture New York now being more like the temporaries where you would go booth to booth to booth, but it's more in, it's a little bit more like aisles, aisles and aisles and aisles of booths. And um, 
So rather than having any showrooms like America's Mart would have, New York now is all booth after booth after booth. And in order to do that, I always recommend that someone does homework in advance, which you recommend with America's Mart too. The big difference between a show like New York Now and a show like Dallas Market Center, Las Vegas Market, and America's Mart is that it's individual reps for the most part. There are a couple of showroom type booths there that are in the lobby that are um, showroom group and showroom group rep agency that sets up in the in the lobby. But otherwise, it's rather than when you go to the showrooms in America's Mart and you see a line inside a showroom, each of those lines has an individual booth at, at New York now. So you're going to see, rather than seeing your rep in a showroom, you're going to see either a rep inside a booth or you're going to see the owner or the, the manufacturer themselves inside the booth. So you're going to go up and down the aisles and they're grouped together in lifestyle and then jewelry, my own handmade is in its own section. Um, but then sometimes they're broken up into other sections too. Kids has its own section. Stationery has its own section. But then there's also this section that's like Lux or it's, sometimes it has a, a different name. And then jewelry will also be in that section. Candles are generally in their own section. It's pretty easy to navigate. It's actually very easy to navigate, except for the time when this Lux area has its own section and you have to figure out if it's like a high-end candle, it's going to be over in that section. High-end jewelry is going to be over in that section. And sometimes some of my retailers find that a little bit confusing. But if you follow the directory and you know what line you're looking for, it's, it's super easy to navigate in that way. So um, it's just walking aisles like the temps are. But my advice is always to do your homework in advance. And number one, what, no matter what show you're going to, is to put the app on your phone. Because the app on your phone is so easy to use no matter what show you're going to these days. Follow the app on your phone. You can punch it in. It usually shows where you are. And, and not only that, but the app on your phone shows what's going on special at the during the show, whether it's events that are going on, whether it's cocktail parties, whether it's um, seminars like mine, <laughs> whether it's um, <laughs> special events that they're having, whether it's a fashion show, whatever's going on. All of that is on the app too. It shows where you can find food in the building. It shows where you can hop on a bus to get back to your hotel. It shows all of that kind of thing are on the app. So I always suggest that they go and, you know, that you put the app on your phone. Also, if you check in with any kind of buyer services or anything, there's usually some kind of special thing going on where there's maybe a buyer's breakfast. If it's your first time attending, get in touch with like at um, New York Now, Amy is the, the buyer services person and she's fabulous. So I would suggest like follow her on Instagram first so you can you know find out what's going on that way. And um, then also go to the website for whatever show you're attending in advance when you register and find out what's going on there. Sometimes there are seminars or webinars, things like that in advance too. So check out the show. You can find um, the maps of the different floors or the different things in advance do homework in advance is what I'm getting ready to say. Yeah, no, it's true. There's so much information out there. Planning is key and planning will lessen the overwhelm. Absolutely. You can plan out your day. You can plan out your appointments. You can plan out times to explore. 
you can do so much of that on their website. Yeah, yeah. And the app is really helpful. Like I said, I've only been to Atlanta, but it, it is really helpful. It'll even show you as you're navigating a certain floor what direction you're heading in. So you know if you're heading in the right direction or not. It's fantastic. That's a great tip. Dallas Mart and for Las Vegas market as well. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Good to know. Um, so I think we're going to wrap it up. So I thought I'd just wrap it up by asking if you had any other words of wisdom for retailers, whether it's pandemic related. And I know so many of us are tired of pivoting and talking about that, but it is a must or whether just it's, it's in general, if you have any words of wisdom for the people listening. My biggest thing right now, and it is pandemic related, is to stay in front of your customers. And this is the perfect time of year to reach out to customers. Um, if possible, through the mail. I know snail mail is not everyone's favorite, but if there's any way to reach out through the mail, at least to the top tier customers, even if it's the top 10, 12, 20,000, whatever, depending on the size of store, a handwritten note is huge. And if there's any way to reach out with a, even a postcard or anything, it means a lot. This is the time of year to remind people that local is important. Um, I'm really big on not the guilt trip. I'm just, yes. I, I, there's differing opinions on that. I'm not a, I'm a huge shop local enthusiast. In fact, I'm, I'm going to be working with the national, um, national main street organization next year. And one of my questions to them before I accepted was, are you guys going to be running any kind of a guilt yeah. And the answer was no, 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 that's not good. No, I, I agree too. And I, and I, I understand, I, you know, I hear both sides, but I, I'm on your side on this. I don't want to guilt anyone right. to shop local or shop small. I'd rather use other ways to convey, you know, important information or that would convince them or, you know, feel um, make them feel that it's it's a good idea for them. It's a good idea for their businesses. It's a good idea for their communities. I do I do appreciate that. Right, when I'm over with your customer service, and right, come in my store, and I'm going to um, I'm going to care about you. I'm going to sell you wonderful products at a fair price, and you're not going to mind if it's fifty cents more in my store than it is online, because. I'm going to make you feel really good when you come in my store and you're going to feel good because I care about you. You're going to feel good because I have a lovely place for you to visit and you're going to feel good because I'm part of the community. And so are you. Beautiful. That is the perfect way to end this episode. I have goosebumps. It's perfect. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So I want everyone to know how can they connect with you? Because I think after listening to the, this podcast, if they don't know about you already, they're going to want to know where to follow you and where to listen to your podcast. Well, I'd love to hear from anyone. My favorite place is Instagram and it's easy. I'm at retail details on Instagram. If someone wants to reach to, out to me on email, it's hello at retaildetailspodcast.com. My website is retaildetailspodcast.com and Facebook is facebook.com slash the retail details. I'm at retailer podcast on Twitter, but you won't find me there very often, but maybe <laughs> I'm laid up with a hurt shoulder. I'll get more active on Twitter. Yeah. To go to, we'll tell everyone, go to Instagram, go to Instagram, go to Instagram. <laughs> and um, Pinterest is fun. My Pinterest is, is quite active. A lot of followers there, at least I, I don't always upload a bunch of pictures, but I'm working on that 
to get it a little more active recently. And um, Pinterest is um, pinterest.com slash store displays. Oh, that's good to know. I don't think I knew that. Okay. Yeah. Um, I jumped on that one really early. (laughs) And I think that's it. I did Facebook, Instagram. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Well, like I said, I know I've said this a couple of times already. I just think this episode and this interview is so timely before Small Business Saturday. You've shared some amazing tidbits, some amazing tips, um, lots of really good, valuable information, things that, you know, most of us retailers, it's hard. We're so busy with the day-to-day that sometimes we forget some of those, what we should consider core values in our business. So thank you for taking the time to do this. I know we had some tech issues the first time we did this. So I appreciate you coming back today to do this. I hope everyone really enjoys this episode. Please connect with Becky. She's a wealth of knowledge. I'm sure you can tell in her heart. She has the biggest heart. And I think that's what attracted me to you the most. So thank you for being here. And again, I hope everyone connects with Becky um, somewhere on social media or on the web. Thank you so much for having me here today. Thanks, Becky. Have a good one. Thank you.